things I was going to say. I'm wearing my Amazing Grace tie today because the election's coming up and we need grace. <laughs> lots and lots of grace. Um, but luckily, again, we have a God who is gracious and we love him and we are thankful for him. Alrighty, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Amos chapter 1. Amos is after Joel in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible, though, it will be on the screen behind me. Amos, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the tops of Carmel withers. May God bless the reading of his word. Before we begin getting into the book of Amos, I thought it would be a good idea to deal with some elements of the book that will help us understand it in its context. In particular, I've decided to focus on authorship, date, location, and some of the themes that we'll see throughout the book. Um, I say some themes because there are many themes within Amos that we'll be looking at, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone, first of all. And also, as a disclaimer, I've decided to make this um, introduction as basic as possible because it would take a long time to go through an introduction of any book, really. So first, we we consider authorship. It is accepted that these pages are prophecies that came from the prophet Amos. We cannot be sure whether Amos himself wrote down these prophecies, or like Jeremiah, um, Amos had a scribe who would transcribe his prophecies for him. Regardless, their authority comes from the fact that Amos was indeed a prophet of God. So regardless of how they were first transcribed, they present us the words from God, and that's something that we're going to see shortly. Now concerning the date, there's some debate around it. Um, Really, there's about a 30-year period that tends to be discussed from either 768 B.C. to 740 B.C., And the reason for this long gap has to do with the beginning of the book where we find Amos prophesied two years before the earthquake. Um, Now, it has been estimated that the earthquake mentioned occurred around 750 B.C. with a 10-year discrepancy of either plus or minus. So regardless, that would take place, regardless of when that would have taken place, these prophecies lie somewhere within that time frame. This also makes sense with the kings who are mentioned, which will also be discussed shortly. The location for many of these prophecies seem to be in Samaria, which is in Israel. If we remember, after the death of Solomon, around 740 BC, the nation of Israel had a civil war. And because of that, it led to a split between the northern and the southern kingdoms. The north was called Israel, And the south was called Judah. In the north, Samaria, the city of Samaria, became the capital of the kingdom of Israel, while in the south, Jerusalem remained the capital of Judah. And just to help us a bit better with that, I've decided to include this map. All right, and unfortunately on the screen it's not showing it too greatly, but here you've got Israel up here, and then you have Judah down here. Jerusalem is actually pretty close to the border of Israel and Judah. And then up here you have Syria, you've got Assyria, you've got Babylon, and Egypt. All of these are mentioned in Amos. 
So you have a lot of nations who are going to come into play. And now we have another map that kind of does a closer. And this one is now Israel and Judah. With Judah, Israel, and you have Samaria right there. And you have Tekoa, which is where Amos is from, right here south of Jerusalem. And Bethlehem's up here somewhere. Um, so that gives you an idea. That's what we're looking at. That's where it was that Amos was prophesying in this land, in this area, about these nations all around this area. Um, and, oh, and though it may seem, okay, this is going to be um, old and it's going to be, okay, well, why are we talking about some prophet who prophesied almost two millennia ago? Ultimately, again, because it's the words of God, we're going to learn a lot about societies. We're going to learn a lot about God about how he has called us in our societies. Um, and so, and again, we have other nations here too, Ammon, Moab, and Edom, who are on the other side of the Jordan River and on the other side of the Dead Sea. So that's just an idea. That's the area where Amos is going to be prophesying from. All right. Finally, when it comes to themes found in Amos, I wanted to have everyone think about two in particular. The first is the sovereignty of God, and the second is social justice. Both of these things are very present within Amos. And though we should not assume that they are the top themes or the most important themes, um, that is, we shouldn't place any themes higher on significance than another, as everything we find in Amos will have repercussions, they are themes, though, that we're going to see right off the bat for the most part. And so it's with this that we begin Amos, first two verses. Now, Amos 1.1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So the book of Amos begins with a brief introduction. First, we learn who it is that the author is, or at least the prophet who spoke the words which we are about to read, and that is Amos. But that is not all. We also learn a little bit about Amos, which is that he was among the shepherds of Tekoa. Right away, we want to give a pause, though. The word used here for shepherd does not necessarily mean shepherd as in um, one who is a shepherd, one who acts as a shepherd, or one who lives as a shepherd, but reflects someone who works with animals. We cannot be sure if Amos was the owner or merely a worker of another individual who owned the animals. And because of this... We should not assume too greatly that Amos was poor, as it is possible that he was actually very wealthy, and we just don't know which one it was. Um, as we saw, we also learned that he is from Tekoa. Tekoa was south of Jerusalem and Judah, and we will come back to this in the future, but for now it reminds us that Amos is a Judean. He is not technically an Israelite of the northern kingdom. We then come to an interesting phrase. And that is when discussing the words of Amos, we are told that they were the words which he saw. For us modern readers, it may seem a little odd to say that one saw words, but in context, it reflects one who has a revelation or has special perception. Seeing as Amos was a prophet, it makes sense for him to have such revelations. Likewise, it reminds us that these revelations are not belonging to Amos. Instead, it reminds us that the words Amos will reveal are the words which he saw, which belong to God himself. We then come to some further information about the timing of the prophecies. We learn that they occurred in the days of Uzziah. 
king of Judah, and Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. It is important for us to know that it is Jeroboam who is the son of Joash, as that means that it is Jeroboam the second, not Jeroboam the first, who was the first king of Israel, the northern kingdom. That said, Jeroboam began to reign in Israel around 793 B.C., and Uzziah died at 739 B.C. This information can help us date the book better, along with the final statements that these prophecies occurred two years before the earthquake. Now, verse 2. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Now, Betsy, before you continue... Uh, The reason why I decided to keep it looking like this is because the prophets are often poetic. And that's the way that it kind of, you can kind of see a poetic narrative there when it comes to the prophecy. And that's why I decided to keep it like it is. And usually in your Bibles, it'll kind of space it differently when it's poetic because of that. All right. So we have the first prophetic statement by Amos. We start off noticing a few things. The first is the use of the word LORD in all capitals, which is how our English translations have traditionally translated the covenantal name of God, which is Yahweh. The fact that it is Yahweh who is speaking reminds us that it is His judgments which are about to be placed. We also notice something else, and that is that He roars. The concept of roaring is reminiscent of a lion, but In its original Hebrew, it also also connotes thunder. Thunder. In other words, God is not coming in peace. Instead, it is a clear, alarming, or even frightening experience to hear God in this way, that he is roaring with the sound of thunder, many thunders. We then learn that the voice which is booming has a starting location. And as we learn it is from Jerusalem. This is fitting, since Jerusalem is the city where the temple of God was located, and therefore the place where God dwelled on earth, so to speak. Likewise, it may be further condemnation against both Israel and Judah, specifically against Israel, who erected new places of worship at Bethel and Dan, along with all the other religious places throughout Israel, which they will be very condemned for. And the second part about um, having many religious places sadly fits Judah as well, as we'll find out as well. Now normally, with the sound of thunder, there comes hope for rain. In a bit of irony, that is not the case with the judgment which God is going to cast. Instead of this thunder bringing rain, it brings drought. Not any drought, but a significant one. One which the pastures of the shepherds mourn because of the severity of it. Likewise, we learn that the top of Mount Carmel withers. There are a few different views for Carmel being mentioned. We know that Carmel was an area that was elevated and had forests with orchards and vineyards. So it is possible that the drought will be so tremendous as to affect not only the meadowlands, but also the high forest areas as well. Ultimately, the first prophecy does not look good for those to whom it was directed. There is judgment to occur, and this judgment, these curses, come from God himself. The main point of these two verses are to open up the book of Amos. In this, they inform us of the prophet 
whom these prophecies were given through, the one chosen by God to proclaim his words, which his prophet saw. Likewise, it informs us of the coming judgments which are to come. The first prophetic utterance is not one of hope, but one of coming judgment against nations. Now, we have a few application points from from these two verses even. The first is concerning prophets. Something we should notice almost immediately is that there is a bit of vagueness when it comes to Amos himself. Yes, we learn a few things about Amos, such as where he's from and what he did, kind of. But besides that, there isn't much information. This isn't only true of Amos, but the majority of the prophets. Generally speaking, for the majority of the prophets, there isn't much focus on them. This leads us to consider, what is the focus? God. God is the focus for the prophets. Whether it is the specific words which God has shown to the prophet, such as the case with Amos, or the law which the prophets urge the people to return to. All in all, the prophet's greatest care is not for self, but for the holy God whom they represent among the people. This causes me to reflect a little bit on my childhood. Many times when I was a child, you would hear about the prophets. And there are times when I would think to myself, when I was younger, oh boy, I wish I had that gift. I wish I had, could be a prophet and make prophetic statements. Prophecy seems so cool and interesting. Oh, the mind of a young person. Because as I grew, I began to realize more and more that the life of a prophet was not always kind. When we are growing up and young, it can be easy for us to think, who wouldn't believe the prophet during that time? We kind of have this assumption that they were turning nations by their proclamations which come from God. The reality, however, and what I have learned as I've grown up, is that the prophet was the one who was very often rejected. We see this especially when we consider Jesus himself, who lamented over Jerusalem, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often... Would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? See, your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This city, the holy city of God, the city from which, as we read today in Amos, the Lord himself roars from, that it kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. That is often the life of a prophet. Not one who is necessarily accepted, but one who is very often rejected. What would cause these prophets to continue? What caused them to be faithful to the words which they saw despite the persecution and rejection? Again, the answer is God. God is their motivation. God is the reason that they continue on. God is the reason that they stood firm against the societies which they prophesied against, knowing that it would lead to persecution. We should have no other motivation. In this life, in our world, there can be many motivations for many things. There can be fortune or fame. There can be love and esteem. 
And while these things are not necessarily evil in their own right, they can be when they become our chief motivation. Likewise, we should also consider this from Amos. Let us never forget that it is not often those who are of greatest renown whom God calls. That many of us who are in the faith are like Amos, like the prophets. We are individuals like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So like the prophets, who we know very little about, let us also be of like mind to honor God and be faithful to him above all else. Someone once said, Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. The point was, our greatest contribution to this world is our faithfulness to God. Even if we are forgotten, let us never say in eternity that we were the least faithful. Instead, let's be like the prophets. These individuals who gave themselves to the message God gave them, and let's learn from them to be faithful to God with our lives. Now this leads to another application point concerning the prophetic. Sometimes we need to consider something that we need to consider is that when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are being prophetic by nature. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we are prophesying to those who hear us. When we call people to repentance and faith, we are proclaiming the same message that the prophets of the Old Testament proclaimed. Turn to God. For there is judgment to come. Flee from the judgment. Seek the mercy and the grace of God. Very often, we have this tendency to believe that the term prophecy only relates to specific instances which individuals see or have revealed of a future event. Yet, that is not always the case. To be prophetic does not necessarily need to have a future event in mind. Consider what we read from, first, um, from the first prophetic statement in Amos. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Why is that significant? It is significant because of a certain passage in Deuteronomy. It reads, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, and increase of your herds and young young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. What makes this significant is that this is the first curse for those who are disobedient and unfaithful to God, as we read. 
we can see how Amos's first prophetic message goes back to the law. It reflects the reality that the prophets were always calling people back to the law. Whether it was to warn them of what it meant to be a lawbreaker, as is the case here, or a call to return to repentance to the law and abandon their unfaithfulness. So again, we have this realization that prophecy does not need to tell about a future event. A prophetic message does not need to be a magnificent realization of the future, an eschatological in nature. A prophetic message can be simply a calling back to God, to what he has done, to remembrance of his word, and encouragement to remain faithful to him. As we read through Amos... Let us remember that the words which Amos prophesies are, first of all, not his. They belong to God. Second, that they reflect on the law of God in some capacity, either in the curses found within the law for disobedience or a call to return to the law in faithfulness. And third, that true prophetic messages are those which lead people back to God. And that though they can have future elements, it is not always necessary. That, or if they do have future elements, it is not often far from the law itself, which warns of the repercussions for unfaithfulness. Finally, a warning for all of us. I told you, I told everyone before, this is a very introductory introduction. When we read the prophets... We will encounter many things dark and terrible. The prophets were individuals who acutely understood the evils of the societies which they were in. God raised them up because of the societies themselves. Thus, when we read the prophets, we will encounter much darkness. And in encountering that darkness, we will find a reasonable response to evil which is that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. Thus, as we read through Amos, prepare yourselves now for what we will soon face. There will be times when we want to yell with Amos against the evil which God is speaking to through Amos. There will be times when we wonder how on earth it is possible for a society to go so wrong. But before we come to such a conclusion, we will always want to consider what future generations will think of us, causing us to wonder, what will they say about us? In this way, I think it is good for us to go through the hard things the prophets speak against, because through our study of the prophets, we will be able to discuss the ills of our own society and contemplate what is the best course of action for us to pursue as the people of God. Thus, by reading the prophets, we can learn how to be more prophetic to our own culture and society. By considering the evil the prophets faced, it can inform us of the evils our own generations face and what we can do to rise against it. By seeing evil, calling it evil, and encouraging others to step away from it and turn toward God, we can be prophetic to those around us, to our children, our neighbors, our friends, and even each other within the church.
And that is, I think, the goal for all of us. To be prophetic to one another, to turn toward God. Ultimately, this all does remind us of the gospel. Though we are only two verses in the Amos, we see judgment. The judgment of God which is on humanity. And in that it reminds us of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which saves us from our sins. It is through him we can live prophetically in a world. And speak the truth to the world in which we live. Though we may be hated and scorned. Through Christ we find blessed peace and hope for a future. And this gospel begins with our origins. God created all things by the power of his word. He is the first cause of all things. He is the only one without a cause because he has no beginning. For he always was and always is and always will be. Last of all comes, last of all the cosmos to be created was humanity from God whom he made in his image. Because God is a God of love, reason, knows, can be known, has personhood, shows hesed, that covenantal love and grace and mercy, we can as well. It is here, in the image of God, that we find dignity, worth, and sanctity to all human life. But like God, we are able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience and into life, or choose to follow sin and disobedience and death. We chose the latter and have continued to do so ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. We continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our God every day. And because of that, we are worthy of condemnation and judgment. God did not leave us in our sorrow without hope forever. Instead, he sent his light and gave us his word in our darkness, and that is Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by him we are justified before our holy God and our righteous God. It is through his blood we are cleansed from our sins. As the song says, grace, grace, marvelous grace. It is in him, his victory. That we find our own victory in life and over death. All that is required of us is to be obedient in two things. The first is repentance from sin. We are to turn away from our sin and turn to God. We are to live lifestyles congruent with the scriptures. With Christ as revealed by the scriptures in steps with the Holy Spirit. We are to seek to live for the glory of God above all. And in this way, we bear witness to the power of God in us for our salvation by how we live. And the second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we are able to do which saves us from our sins. It is what Christ has done. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. For the glory of God alone we are saved. For those who remain in disobedience there is only condemnation. None can stand before God with their deeds in hand. For even our best deeds are as filthy rags before our holy and righteous God. Therefore to stand before God without any atonement for sin is to stand in judgment for the moral guilt which sin is caused and which we all have apart from Christ. But for those who are obedient, there is no longer condemnation. Instead, they receive the love reserved for the Son of God. 
They enter into the joy of knowing God as their Father in heaven. They are able to have victory over sin in this life and victory over death in the next. Not because of what they do, but because of what Christ has done. In the end, they become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom of peace with their God forever. In all of this, remember the prophetic voice which you have when you share this gospel. When we speak the Christian worldview into society at large, and when we present Christ in all areas of life, we are being prophetic. Likewise, let us remember to be faithful to Christ in this world. The prophets were often ignored, rejected. We should expect no less for speaking the truth into our own societies today, here and now. But have faith, remembering our God is worthy of us proclaiming his truth through the ages to all societies. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the words of your prophets. We thank you that through your grace and your marvelous love, that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can be prophets. We can speak truth. We can speak of the light of the Son of God, and we can be light through Him. And so, Lord, let us never forget that is our focus. Just as the prophets focused on you and your glory and how holy you are and wonderful in all ways, let us also never lose sight of that goal, that we proclaim you in spirit and in truth, to all people. You are worthy of our lives, so we offer them to you, and we thank you again. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.